Welcome to Radical Embodiment, the podcast where we challenge societal norms and redefine what it means to be fully present in our bodies. I'm your host, Emily Wishall. I am an embodiment coach, certified rolfer, and author of the book, Radical Embodiment, a practical guide to celebrating the skin you're in. Living a radically embodied life means making a consistent, courageous, and intentional choice each and every day to truly be in our bodies. It's about reclaiming our power, breaking free from harmful narratives, and cultivating a deep connection with ourselves. I am absolutely thrilled to introduce you to season five's lineup of guests. In the upcoming 12 episodes, you'll have the opportunity to listen to insightful interviews with friends, teachers, colleagues, and experts in the fields of movement, fascia, and the body. Each episode offers a diverse range of perspectives and a wealth of knowledge for you to immerse yourself in. I hope you find these interviews as enlightening and inspiring to listen to as I did when I was recording them. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily Wishall, your host. And today I'm so honored to bring you Gil Headley. Um, I met Gil briefly this past summer, June of 2023, when I was in a fresh cadaver dissection lab that was hosted in his lab in Colorado Springs. Um, and I've known about his work for years since I first trained as a welfare over like eight, 10 years ago. Um, so Gil has his background as a welfare. He's been doing dissections and teaching dissections for close to 30 years now. And he is actually the reason kind of why I wanted to do a dissection. I mean, there's uh, to actually feel like I could do it. He has such a deep reverence for the human body. And one of his perspectives of, you know, doing hundreds, hundreds of dissections is variation is the norm, meaning you're not variation from the norm, but variation is the norm. No single body is the same. And being that my intention with this work with radical embodiment is to really support us in learning how to love our body through learning how to inhabit our body so that we don't see our differences or our, you know, things that society or conditioning has maybe made us feel wrong about our body as wrong or bad or judge ourselves for that. But instead that we can come into relationship with them, that we can come into love with them so that we can feel more connection, experience more in our life and and have more life force to put towards living a life the way we want to live it. And so I think Gil is just phenomenal and phenomenally intelligent, yet like so in connection and humble with his humanness that his perspective that he has to share on embodiment is awesome. And he takes it from not just embodying your body, but how you can embody consciousness outside of that and how that impacts the way you relate, the way you show up in the world. So I'm sure that you will enjoy this interview um, it really touched and moved me as we were speaking. I actually had tears a few times in my eyes, um, inspired me to make some own shifts in how I relate and perceive myself and others. And so really, really hope you enjoy. Here's the interview. Hi, everyone. Here I am with Gil Headley. I referred earlier, I asked how I should just briefly introduce. I said, I'm going to say you're amazing. And I think you said amazing Gil Headley dot, dot, dot human. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thanks for being here, Gil. It really is an honor to, to get to have you on the podcast and get to interview you. So I'm really grateful. Thank you, Emily. And I can't, I can't promise amazing, but I can promise human. (laughs) That, you know, I honestly think with my work and intention, even just with this podcast and radical embodiment is, is that we're all human and and unmasking some of those layers that Mm. can block us from our humanness that I think block us from deeper connection. Mm. Um, so the question I always start with is what embodiment means to you? Well, um, in this moment, (laughs) I think, because if you keep asking good questions over and over again throughout your lifetime, the answer tends to change. Yeah. So I think at this moment, uh, to me, embodiment means, um, permitting, allowing, inviting my awareness, my consciousness to be present to 
this physical form uh, in its mm -hmm. most intimate corners and cracks and crevices and unknown places. I think that's partly why I study anatomy. Uh, well, in large measure, it's why I study anatomy so that I can sort of enter into secret rooms in a building that I might not have been aware of and bring my consciousness there. And that's my embodiment. I love that. Hmm. Have there been any personal, and, and maybe there's a story that comes to mind, experiences or like moments where you've gone in one of those crevices or crannies with your consciousness and felt into that and a sensation, emotion that something has, has surprised you that you didn't recognize was there. Oh yeah. The first time I felt pleasure in my spinal column, I had suffered from many, many kind of, uh, central column dislocations, mm. uh, as a, as a pattern of experience over the course of my life. And maybe when I was around 30 something, I was in a Emily Conrad Daoud continuum workshop, wiggling around on the floor with everybody and breathing, etc. And this this place in my body that had just been a locus of pain um, suddenly whispered pleasure to me. And mm -hmm. I was shocked. I was changed for life. Mm -hmm. I never considered that a prospect. My my goal was to not be in pain. Yeah, uh, it, it didn't even include the prospect mm -hmm. of pleasure. Mm -hmm. And that was a really profound experience. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's telling and, um, you know, in our everyone's own individual way, I think it's common story or, or narrative of how can we just avoid pain? How can I avoid pain, whether that be physical pain, emotional pain versus Oh, there actually could be a choice of choosing pleasure, choosing to feel good and having that be a motivation or an anchor. Yeah, it's uh, it's something in our culture that we have to build tolerance for. Hmm. So we have a very high tolerance for pain and for stories about pain, mm -hmm. you know, but we don't have a very high tolerance for pleasure or stories about pleasure. I think in our puritan rooted culture there's a deep rooted suspicion even though the puritan roots are forgotten and there's a there's a deep rooted suspicion in our culture around pleasure it's mm -hmm. like it's any intimation of pleasure is a is like a slippery slope to hedonism so best to avoid it altogether and and settle for pain which is salvific suffering is rewarded in our mm. religious culture, uh, oh, she suffered so bravely till the end, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like no one ever says she was ecstatic so bravely till the end. She orgasmed her way out of the planet. She, you know, I'm saying, why don't we, why, why are we ashamed to imagine that? But, but mm -hmm. we so, so readily adopt a, a, a pain approval uh, consciousness. Yeah, I like how you even named like no one ever thinks of like oh she was so brave to like be live ecstatic. Yeah. And I think that actually is a really brave choice to just be in your ecstasy and be in your own like allowing yourself to feel really good and expressing that outwardly. Yeah, conducting that uh that channel, conducting that frequency on the planet is a great service. It is. It's not to say pain will be gone. Yeah. If you're a body in gravity, there's pain. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't mean that pleasure need be excluded or that we be intoler intolerant of it. That when mm. you're standing in the grocery line, you can feel good. You don't just have to feel bad. But I know from my own, you know, religious cultural upbringing as a pious uh, Catholic boy, you know, baptized in the 1963, um, that the you know, that the suspicion of of pleasure and the body in general, the body as is uh, crucified and something, you know, the, the savior is crucified in the body and you want to be like that at a certain level. That's the consciousness that's imprinted on you. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, I want to, you, you want to be Jesus on the cross, you know, but where's Jesus resurrected? You know, isn't that what we're celebrating? But we're, we're looking at, you know, Jesus on the cross all year long. And then mm-hmm. uh, Easter comes along and the Easter season is actually longer than the Lent season is 50 days rather than 40, but you'd never know it from the way uh, it's, pra- it's practiced in the trenches where you just kind of go back to that suffering mode pretty quickly. It's That's an interesting point. Yeah. Cause I, I was also raised very Catholic, went to Catholic school through my senior mm-hmm. year, K through 12. Uh-huh. My family, my parents, especially very devout. It's not my practice. Um, but yeah, it immediately went to my, my head of being a little girl in, in church and yeah, that's four days of Lynn. Everything's covered. It's dark. There's, it's sat, you know, giving up sugar. I'm trying to be a good girl. Uh-huh. I didn't know there was 50 days to the Easter season. <laughs> Yeah, it's no, like one no day of celebration. It's like, oh, now we get to eat chocolate. Yeah, only the daily mass goers know that. I, I was a daily yeah. mass goer for for ten years, all through college and grad school. Mm, mm. Longer than ten years. Yeah. So I'm 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 kind of curious, actually, if you don't mind, because you've been in the dissection anatomy world for over thirty years, as I believe, just around there. About thirty years. Yeah. About thirty years. Yeah. And so if you can kind of take us from, you know, you, what you just shared, you know, daily mass goer, college, grad school into kind of your belief and in, in reverence for the body. Now, I mean, I, I experience you as someone, a human, a person, a teacher who's deeply reverent for the human body, who's deeply reverent for others' experiences um, in a way that feels really like clean and compassionate and kind. Mm. And I'm not I can credit to the Catholicism. I learned a lot of I learned a lot of about compassion and kindness and service and all that. It wasn't all bad. (laughs) Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that because that was what I was wanting to make a point. I'm not trying to like juxtapose that like Catholicism or religion can't can't be that. Yeah, Um, very much it can be. But yeah, do you mind just kind of like sharing a little of your own story and kind of how you got into this deep, very specific world of work that, that you do? Well, I, you know, as a young person, I, again, I, I, I absorbed that culture. And at the same time, I turned 13 and was suddenly muscularly transparent. I was ripped, you know, and I started lifting weights and got into the culture of Arnold Schwarzenegger's bodybuilding in the 70s and, and got big. And it was really fun to see my body change. And I, I was amazed by my body at the same time that I was deeply suspicious of it and filled with anxiety over my sexuality. And, and that I was also like, damn, this thing's cool. Look at you do these behaviors, lift your arms, uh, bend your elbows, squat up and down and, and you get these big muscles. This is fun. And there's all kinds of approval for that amongst the kids at school. And so uh, I got into that and it was also a great outlet for my rage and, and my youthful, my youthful rage and anxiety was to lift weights. And so I did that. And then I got, I got very, when I got to college, uh, you know, everything sort of unwound and I started losing weight. I stopped eating. I was very anorexic-y. My girlfriend was anorexic. Her roommate was bulimic and we all got on real well together at the cafeteria. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I kind of, again, changed my body, but just like accidentally uh, got into fasting as a pious Catholic lover of St. Francis. and, And I really went up and down but I, I still had this interest, I, uh, and I worked in the biology department and was bagging fetal pigs and, you know, working with smelly things in the laboratory. And, and, and by the time I got to grad school, I realized I was, wow, I'm not even in my body. I am so far out of my body. That's not even a home. You know, I left it. I left, I had left the building until I just, it was pure intellect at that point. And I- Is there something that happened that- helped you to see that you weren't in your body or uh there were you know I, I was like a ACOA kid you know kind of out child of an alcoholic so by the time I got to grad school you know uh, just smells would put me out of my body you know like mm. if I smelled wine or something or, or beer I would mm. literally leave the building so I was very I was very uh afraid you know I was terrified and and the body was just a, maybe a you know, it was an anxiety producing terror filled zone. Mm. Uh, somehow it became that. Mm. 
and 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 I was like, I gotta, I gotta get in. How can I, you know, study ethics and be wanting to say things about the body and have no relationship with it at all? You know, I felt like a hypocrite, and and also just to survive eight years at the University of Chicago, I I took up the, with the Tai Chi Club. And I started doing Tai Chi. And that was the beginning of my embodiment journey, I would say. I was suffering a lot in my body. I had, like I mentioned earlier, kind of a dislocated spine. I, I couldn't keep it together. I have, I now can, would describe it as, uh, you know, central column hypermobility. Uh, but I didn't really have words or categories for that kind of thing. And so I'm sort of on the, I'm on the, you know, hypermobility spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in my spinal column, which causes all kinds of troubles, which I had experienced. Mm -hmm. I thought, how can I survive my body even and survive my graduate studies as uh, uh, spending hours and hours, eight, 10 hours reading a day, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I took up Tai Chi and found that was a wonderful path in, you know, it got me moving in, in ranges of motion that I, you know, were alien to me. My range of motions were so tiny at that time. And so Tai Chi expanded me for years, uh, gave me a repertoire of movement, a movement vocabulary that I could play with and, and really enjoyed it, enjoyed that. And started doing gymnastics. Uh, you know, I practiced Tai Chi near the gymnastics club and they'd be like, come play with us. And before you know it, I'm back springing hand, hand springing my way down the, <laughs> down the way or doing backflips on the trampoline and having a good time. And so, uh, you know, that was, and I really was like, wow, this is great. And then I heard about Ida Rolf and, and mm. body work in general. And and uh, although I didn't really have any connection still to my own body, I suddenly thought, well, I'd rather do that than be a professor, <laughs> you know. And uh, and so I, I went to the Rolf Institute and studied with Tom. Tom Myers at the time was leading the pre-training for folks who had no massage background uh, mm. you know, before you enter the, into the rolfing training, you had to know something. And so mm -hmm. there was a pre-training and I took that pre-training in 1990, uh, 91, I think mm. 1991 with mm. Tom and, uh, we've been friends ever since, but, um, and that, then I started putting my hands on other people's bodies. I started doing massage, massaging my fellow grad students, back in Chicago and uh, and really doubling down on my knowledge about the body became intriguing to me again, as it had been when I was a teenager st studying the bodybuilding. You know, I, I already kind of knew all the muscles. Now I wanted to, you know, see them. So I, I, I went with a friend into the dissection lab at the University of Illinois, uh, Chicago medical campus. And he was studying on Saturdays and I go in with him and dissect alongside him. And that was my first experience in the dissection lab. And it was uh, horrifying and terrifying mm. and uh, totally compelling to me. Mm. Uh, and I, I, I had to overcome my, my terror uh, to learn uh, because I was not a particularly embodied person. So dissection became a path to embodiment for me mm. along with the tai chi practice and then the body work practice right and so you became a rolfer and now i ha and then i got married and you know suddenly had kids and and the whole family life is very embodying also right you have to clean up a lot of poop you have to you know uh do the things and having a sex life you know you know you, you all those things sort of you know legitimize having a body right mm, mm -hmm. it needed to be legitimized that's how bad my disembodiment was you know i had mm. to i had to rationalize it i had to justify the the goodness mm. of becoming embodied and mm. you know, i read castaneda carlos castaneda's books mm. uh, when i was in grad school and so much of i don't know if you know those books but is I'm familiar with him. I haven't read the books, and it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's been years was, since I thought about him. So I'm glad. Yeah, he was an anthropologist, and he yeah. wrote about eight books about his whether they were fictional or non-fictional remains a debate, but doesn't really matter. His stories of his learning from this teacher Don Juan in the mm -hmm. Sonora Desert, and how, and it was much an embodiment practice. Really, it was about mm -hmm. you know inhabiting every cell 
of your body so you could move it in tricky ways, you know, and you, you could transform yourself. You could be like a changeling and say, pretend you're an old man when you're when you're a young person or, and then surprise somebody with your athleticism or something like that. He did all kinds of tricks like that. And, and also I got deeply into a teacher, uh, Stylianos Ateshlis, who's mostly known as Daskalos, which is a Greek word for teacher. And he was a Greek Cypriot healer, an esoteric Christian, uh, wrote his own books. Books were written about him and uh, and had a whole series of tapes, you know, cassette tapes that I listened to a million times. And and Daskalos, as well as Carlos Castaneda's teacher, were very much about getting all the way into the body, learning anatomy, because then you become conscious and like literally filling out your filling, ex making your consciousness so aligned with every cell in your body that you could as a result shift into the astral plane willingly and travel wow. with, with the body you know so that the the that that once you sort of awaken in every cell in your body then you can disappear and reappear because you're the master of that mm. material expression of your consciousness, not just going for a ride, right? So the yeah. saints, and that resonated with me, with the Christian saints, right? With the, you mm. know, uh, in the Acts of the Apostle, you know, they said, and and he disappeared, you know, you know, there's uh, whether it was Jesus or or the apostles, they they become theodicized, they they awoke. And they and the body was then just like clothing you could put on and take off at will wherever you wanted to, and so I thought that's no that's I didn't have the word embodiment at the time but I was like that's the ultimate mastery right is mm. is when you're not afraid for your body right because mm. it's just another it's an outfit that you wear, um, mm. and, and it's an expression in a in a plane of consciousness at a rate of vibration right and you can you can accelerate your vibra your vibration also to such a rate uh to at su to such a level that you can um travel pretty fucking awesome <laughs> yeah. like whoa yeah yeah we just settle you know we don't even think about yeah, those things and right. we, we settle and we let our vibration be I'm hungry. I'm turning a doorknob. I have to work. Darn it all. It's tax season. You know, and our consciousness is is completely occupied. And I believe intentionally, call me a conspiracy theorist, but yeah, it's how you control a population, you know, distract yeah. us and keep us so busy that we never actually engage in the practices that would bring us to a level where the systems of control would be meaningless. Mm. I mean, I resonate with that. And I mean, I think it's even similar, you know, I know we talked a little bit about my work and, and book, but like, I think even the conditioning, and I, I know it's not just for women and female, I just think it's so much more pushed on us as young girls to look a certain way, to be a certain way, to like have that be your weight and physical appearance, like tied into a woman's weight and worth, I think is a way to, to it's like a patriarchal way of controlling us to not really be able to tap into our life force. Cause so much energy is going into, Oh my God, what am I eating? What do I look like in this? What you, like, which is just bullshit noise. Yeah. And um, I would say it, it, as a slight counterpoint, I yeah, think it's please. less patriarchal than uh, the commodification uh, and problematization <laughs> of the body. It's more mm -hmm. about money and marketing mm -hmm. than, yeah, than it sure. is about systems of control because the guys are just as subject to they are. unrealistic models of the body and mm -hmm. uh, impossible ideals of physicality. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, sorry, I'm not a superhero. It's just not happening here. I'm a fleshy person and what have you. And, uh, yeah, and you do that. have massive disdain, so body disdain you know, mm -hmm. and, the guy, and the guys too. Yes, yeah. but to me, that's more about the problematization of the body by the mm -hmm. marketing culture, which then mm -hmm. sells you and mm -hmm. commodifies solutions to problems that they've created. Yeah. So you can you can convert people's consciousness into a sense that their body is a problem rather than a gift. And then mm -hmm. since it's a problem, we're going to help you fix it. And here's what it's going to cost this many billions of dollars for this industry and this many billions of dollars for that industry. 
Yeah. Right. So we're we're really locked into a, a culture of consumerism that's based on the commodification of a, our bodies being problematized as wrong mm -hmm. needing mm -hmm. fixing, whether your skin's too dry or too oily or too there's tan, always something or not tan enough or yeah. too heavy or not not you have fat but it's in the wrong spot it should be sure. you know, on your chest and on your hips not on your belly or on your thighs you know so it's like fuck you that we just can't keep up with it you know so i just mm -hmm. recommend that people don't buy that <laughs> yeah which takes me to um something you said just a little bit ago of you know you're like it's almost like it feels like a big spectrum too of this you know, thinking of your body as a way, like the, that problem mind and, and just like trying to get through the day, which to me feels like dull and contraction versus what you were kind of alluding to of being able to really weave and be with your consciousness in every cell. And this like, that felt like so exhilarating and amplifying mm. to me. Mm. Um, and you, you shared of, you know, part of like starting to like, not fear the body, mm. um, and not like have fear of, of what the body. And so, it wasn't exactly language like that, but around that, what would you, are there ways that for you that supported you in this or ways that you might just suggest to somebody else who's kind of on this journey experience of what are some tangible supportive ways to help lessen that, that mm. fear that one might have of their body or yeah. that belief that their body is a problem. Hey, it's Emily, and I'm interrupting this episode to let you know about something special I created just for you. If you're eager to explore a deeper connection with your body and embark on an enriching embodiment journey, I invite you to explore my free Radical Embodiment Toolkit. Inside the toolkit, I share a collection of my favorite practices that have helped me to stay present, grounded, and confident while also nurturing the health of my fascia. This resource includes guided body-centered meditations, step-by-step -step instructions on tending to your body's needs while infusing intention into your emotional and energetic processes, as well as a selection of must-read books for anyone on the embodiment path. I understand that adopting new habits and practices can feel overwhelming, especially when life is busy. So that's why I've designed the toolkit to guide you in gradually incorporating these practices into your life week by week, ensuring that you won't be inundated with information all at once. So to get started, simply visit radicalembodiment.com forward slash embodiment toolkit and sign up to receive your free toolkit directly in your inbox today. So again, that's radicalembodiment.com forward slash embodiment toolkit. I will have that linked in the show notes. All you need to do is go there, sign up with your name, and the toolkit will get emailed directly to your inbox. So I hope you take advantage. I hope you enjoy. I put a lot of time into this toolkit, and I think it's something that's going to continue to evolve and expand. So go get it. Get the free Radical Embodiment Toolkit today. And now back to the episode. Yeah, for me, it's been the study of anatomy. So yeah. the study of anatomy is like walking up to the Grand Canyon, right? And you stand there at the precipice and it's a rare person who doesn't feel awe and wonder at the rim of the Grand Canyon. Um, it's almost impossible for our being not to. You know, or mm -hmm. if you are in a ideal situation, not too much light, and you look at the Milky Way at night, you know, mm -hmm. you 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 can't help but be in awe. And I have found that to be the case when I stand at the precipice of the human form and then go hiking in it, <laughs> then go trail mm -hmm. riding, go mm -hmm. following tracks. Uh, and that's what the study of anatomy is to me. It's it's being at the precipice of the universe and then falling into it with wonder and excitement. Like, oh my gosh, look at this thing here. What is that? Like it's it's squiggly. It looks like a river. You know, uh, you know, I got rivers inside of me. I have canyons, I have rocky outcroppings, I have I have soft squidgy things. I, you know, and and this is all. Uh, some kind of artifact or footprint of my life 
and mm. it makes me super curious to look at it. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'll be in the lab this afternoon. I can't wait. I'm, mm. My friend, a friend is teaching a class and I'm going to go pop in on his class for a couple hours. And oh. it's like, oh, what will I, what will I see? Because it's almost, I, I can say, to a number. I've never seen a cadaver where I didn't see something I'd never seen before. Because mm. mm -hmm. how do you see the whole universe? You have to keep going back and going back. And mm. so when the... When the curiosity and you, when you engage curiosity for the body, rather than like we talked about avoiding it or being afraid of it or angry at it, I mean, it, it takes some courage, frankly. Yeah. It takes mm -hmm. some courage to approach the complexity of the body and not be worried about a test or something like that. I don't have any tests in my dissection lab. You know, it's to me, it's it's like a sandbox. It's a it's a playground. There's no tests at the playground, mm -hmm. um, except maybe how well you can get along with one another, which, you know, is definitely part of working with a group. But I challenge people even in that and say, hey, you know, we're all on this raft going down the down the Canyon River together and we got to link arms and watch out for each other and take mm -hmm. care of one another. And so I build a community a culture of mutual support so that mm -hmm. we can you know be brave really and step forward to this layer and then the one past it and the one past that and be willing to be provoked mm. to be brave enough to be provoked by what you encounter in the body you know so it's like oh wow this is makes me really excited and thrilled and and i think it's beautiful and something else so it's like oh mg i am horrified i am disgusted I uh, I know I don't like this place, you know, and to, to uh, build in your own consciousness an inventory of your responses and reactions and relationships mm. to the tissues. So you can say, oh, some of this I really like and some of this I just hate it. Now, yeah. here's the news, folks. You can't hate it. You got to love yeah. it. You got to love it all. And so what then I do is I help build once people notice their reactions, I help to build their the aspects of appreciation for that thing they might be mm. disgusted by or afraid of. And then they're like, oh, okay, that's not so scary. That's not so bad. That's actually doing me a favor every day. That's actually mm. on my side. That's mm. part of who I am. It's mm -hmm. okay to accept these dark corners. Yeah. And I think that was telling, you know, I, I wasn't I was in your lab. You weren't the main the teacher of the dissection lab that I did, but it was hosted in your lab. And I went into, you were one of the reasons why I wanted to do a like fresh cadaver dissection lab. I'd been in cadaver labs several times in the past, but always, you know, preserved in formaldehyde and only observation. Mm. And, you know, I had my own belief of, oh, I could never dissect a cadaver, right? Like I get queasy, I'm going to pass out. Mm. So day one, I entered of like, oh my God, am I even going to be able to participate in, in this? Yeah. Like why, what have I signed myself up for? And was fascinated. You know, we spent day one and two, I think specifically working with the superficial fascia and the adipose tissue. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was after one of the days, Monday or Tuesday, I was in an Airbnb with some friends who, you know, we all met because of the lab and I sat in the backyard against a tree and just did a little like meditation at the end of the day and had this like such felt sense of my adipose tissue and superficial fascia in a way that was like, I've never experienced before. It was really profound that mm. totally also shifted my own perspective of my fat tissue, of my adipose and recognizing yeah. once we remove that, the form, that cadaver, the person, it no longer really looks like them. Mm. And just the deep level of, of protection and, and the energy of that. Mm. Um, yeah. But what was coming to me as you were, were sharing kind of like, you know, what do we love in the body or what do we not? And you kind of loving it all is I um, was, so, it was gorgeous to see the the diaphragm and the psoas was like just stunning. And mm. I was <laughs> until, until I was working on like the inferior psoas, like, like deep kind of pelvis mm -hmm. area and the intestines had been removed. Um, there was, but there was some adipose tissue there that like was really stinky, <laughs> really. And I, 
I had a, I was, I was, I kept wanting to be there, but then like going away. Cause I was like, I don't know. I was like, I got to work on another part of the body. This is. It sounds like you ran into some stray poo. <laughs> I, mean, I think that there's some poo was on the adipose tissue. Yeah. There you go. I, yeah so it was, uh, it was not, that was, that wasn't so pleasant. <laughs> so so. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I like to say the, the sacred stuff is all. Yeah. The sacred stuff is all. So it's, it's the stink and the, and the beauty. Mm -hmm. And if, if we can, then this is part of this expansion of consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. To, to actually welcome, you know, some of the nasties Mm -hmm. Uh, because there's not a, there's not a saint on the other side of the pearly gates right? Mm-hmm. Who didn't poop themselves, mm-hmm. who didn't fuck up, mm-hmm. you know, who didn't hurt somebody, mm-hmm. uh, who didn't maybe even do great injury mm-hmm. while they were on the planet, but managed to forgive themselves, but managed mm-hmm. to accept it as part of the bigger picture, uh, managed to get beyond their regret so that their consciousness could expand even further. Mm-hmm. So we have, uh, it's we we are in a mixed bag world, with multiple layers of vibration, and it's all the sacred stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all included. So if we just look at our body as a model of that, mm-hmm. try and understand it right now, there's massive destruction happening. You know, your spleen is breaking down red blood cells. Uh, there's there's enzymes that are up apoptosing cells all over your body. You know, hundreds of thousands, millions of cells are are being destroyed right now. Now, if you are in the community of that cells consciousness, you'd be like, oh, we just lost Bob. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, loved him so. I've been parked next to him for. 35 hours and it was a beautiful experience and now he's gone you know it's like or you're you're the little red blood cell coursing through uh tumbling through a capillary you know one by one and coming out into the larger venous venial pathway and 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 you you don't think of yourself as blood. You you're you're just a little consciousness of a little red blood cell, just getting along. And then maybe there's a cut, right? And and all of a sudden a, a bunch of you like crowd through the open door and look and see a world. Mm. And you're like, whoa, you know, you you've been brought up to the seventh heaven like uh, Paul. And on the road to Damascus, mm. when he was still Saul, and he's like, "Whoa, there's more, there's more." And and yet here we are, you know, the consciousness of this whole community of trillions of cells, and and um, and we we are mourning the losses here and there, right? And seeing what we perceive as suffering, and mm. and. Uh, and yet there are even larger steps that consciousness can expand to where the whole earth becomes your body and the processes that are occurring on it and the seeming violences are part of a larger story of life. And that earth itself is just a cell in, mm. in a galaxy, you know, pulsing and the bigger you go and you're like what we talked about embodiment like at mm-hmm. the very beginning was embodied mm-hmm. i gave you one story of embodiment but maybe another story of embodiment is the expansion of your consciousness to include the body that you are beyond your skin mm-hmm. to see and experience and become conscious of the continuities between my body and yours and our bodies and the earth and our earth and the galaxy and our galaxy and the universe and beyond. And where does your body really stop? And why do you presume that it stops at your skin? Why do you lock your consciousness into a skin sack as if that's who you are? 
-hmm. when we know we're going to shed it. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty convinced personally that I will continue in the sense that I am. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I feel I feel a deep confidence in that because I've already what this is. I didn't have this when I was a baby. This is a totally different body. And yet yeah. I still know myself to be who I am. Mm. I can't if if embodiment stops at my skin, I it's not enough for me at this point. Mm -hmm. Because I know that there are within the body subtle interfaces, right? Between this thing and that thing in the mind's consciousness. It says, oh, here's rectus femoris, and mm -hmm. here it's 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 shearing over the the uh vastus intermedius and there's a membrane there and people don't even see the membrane because they know those words and they want to see those things and so they cut mm. them apart and don't see that they're not apart they're continuous and that there's an interface between them and that there is no one thing and the other thing it's a continuous thing and then i can become suspicious and look at you and look at me and say well are you rectus femoris and i'm vastus intermedius and and there's actually uh, a continuity between us it's subtle but mm -hmm. it's not so subtle if i if i said something mean to you right mm -hmm. or something kind mm -hmm. and loving right mm -hmm. and then that we would be mutually experiencing that exchange mm -hmm. whether for good or for 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 uh, painful mm -hmm. because we're continuous mm -hmm. yeah and we're we're we can share experiences that are bridging these bodies our electrons are jumping back and forth between each other i exhale and you inhale yeah right right what the heck think about it that's a really good tangible example of that actually yeah. i really like that yeah yeah, yeah. We're, we're having so so when you are becoming embodied Right. Mm -hmm. Like you can be not even in the physical, like I was in grad school, where you're just floating around above it, or you can maybe climb into this little suit uh, with your attention and with your awareness. But do you know what's going on in your big toe right now? No, you don't know, probably in the details, right? So, and just just right before you said that I actually just moved I my legs crossed I'm like on a bouncy ball and I just uh -huh. dropped it so my big toe I just rested on this metal rod so I was like actually I'm pretty aware because I just yeah okay good but so but what about, not normally not normally right? was, but the thing yeah. is we're so maybe it's your elbow that you're not that you're, yeah, in, you're sure. inadvertent to in the moment yeah. and if we're inadvertent to some place in our body and we're mm -hmm. inadvertent to 99% of it, I would say, mm -hmm. then why do we count the body as ours and, and what's going on in the apartment building next door as not ours, as other, mm. right? When we're as inadvertent to what's going on in the apartment building next door as the apartment building in our liver. And yet we call this ours and we call that other. It's ridiculous. <laughs> we, ours is whatever we are consciously present to. Mm. And so your body isn't even yours if you haven't showed up in it yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No less the building next door. But if mm -hmm. you do manage to get inside your own home, mm -hmm. what yeah. we identify as our own home, and find out that then... You fill it up and, and you can go beyond its limits and you can bring your consciousness into a plant or a tree or mm -hmm. an animal or or empathize with another human being or empathize with the ocean or the mountains mm -hmm. or the planet. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, it's beautifully sad and it's a beautiful um, way to to be in the world and relating that it's not so me them here so so dissected in, in this separatist idea exactly that exactly. I, they think also you know our world is hurting people you know and and can bring us more into connection as we expand embodiment just from ourselves into that i think of even oh how would that even influence my day-to-day -day choices and actions exactly. i actually think quite quite a bit quite a bit how can yeah. you hate on another person's body 
when you've expanded your consciousness enough to recognize that you are continuous with them, that you are one with them. There is no separation. It's a trick being played by your brain is misperceiving the reality. We are walking around lying to ourselves, misperceiving reality as a pile of separate things rather than a continuity. Yeah. You know, it's something that came to me a little bit ago um, when you're talking about, you know, you, you, this can't be yours until you're in, in here, you know, speaking of your body of um, when I, I moved to Boulder about 10 years ago, when I was first living in Boulder, my first few months, I'd go to, up, like drive an hour, 90 minutes into the mountains with this five of us women from Boulder, we carpool together, this woman's house, for this little women's group and the facilitator, mm. the teacher of the group was one of our first meetings. And I was, I was, um, had instant community when I first moved to Boulder at the Bolt at the Rolf Institute. Mm. And then the reality was 10 weeks after like the, the training, everybody moved, moved away until to come mm. back. So all of a sudden I was like, I don't know anybody. And I was really mm. struggling with finding community, finding belonging, finding connection. And Tanya Vaughn was a teacher's name. And I'll never forget her saying to me, cause I was kind of sharing this and sharing that I feel like I didn't belong. And she shared with me, she's like, Emily, you will never belong until you first belong to yourself. Self. Mm-hmm. And that really landed. And I and I think it's it speaks to a part of kind of, you know, and, and you can of course counter let me know if it feels different, but what you're speaking to of like belonging to ourselves first in this way, but then as we really allow that to be anchored and felt, how that actually expands us out to really feeling full interconnectionness and that continuity between ourselves, others, the planet, yeah, our animals animals outside yeah absolutely and we do the same thing with our possessions Mm. you know we we have stuff and we don't really have never really paid attention to it enough for it to belong to us right so because if you pay attention to something well enough then the physical thing is no longer needed right because mm-hmm. you've got it you don't we take pictures of things all the time now thinking that we now i've got it i won't i can't lose it now because i have a picture the memory is stored in my phone and now it's now it's mine but when do you actually go through those pictures you don't you don't but if you did and you actually paid attention you know to an, a thing or an object or something beautiful if you were looking at something beautiful and you settled there for just a minute and paid attention to that view and really let it soak in you don't need the picture it's yours now you know you you've 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 extended your consciousness to it and and uh and now you can't lose it right Mm -hmm. so (laughs) what do we have to fear how can we turn our world uh, instead of being in a place of fear with regard to our possessions or or our memories or whatever what if you're actually there for it then you yeah right that burns a burns a couple of uh neurons together into your gyri there mm-hmm. and now it's yours mm-hmm. and, and and yet your hands are free you know you're, you don't you don't need you don't need it mm-hmm. um, so speaking of this you know continuity this idea being that you just spent, I think about a year doing a really intensive, was it a year that I want to talk about your nerve project and kind of oh, go. I spent five months actually, January, five months. January okay. through May, a little bit into June, uh, but basically five whole months in the lab, full-time dissecting uh, with a specific uh, intent to engage, relate with, understand nerve tissues more deeply. So mm-hmm. I call that a tree right? The nerve, I like, instead of speaking about the nervous system, I like to talk about the nerve tree on my model of the onion tree for the human body, that we have textural layers that are interpenetrated with branching fractal, you know, fractal tree forms. We got our, whether it's our uh, heart tree or our nerve tree or bone tree for that matter, we're, Mm. um, we're having these, uh, these beautiful, um, you know, self-repeating patterns of of uh, branching. The same aim, same as what we see growing out of the ground. 
And we're just like a little bud that like nipped off the earth and started walking around with our trees. We're like trees on the move. And I wanted to understand better the relationship of that tree to the textural layers that I love so much. Because if you dissect by layer, as I have over the past 30 years, you're constantly pruning that tree, mm -hmm. pruning it hard. And so you, you don't get to experience the tree as nicely as you might if you were saying this dissection is about the tree rather than about the the the, the whole body continuous textural layers so i had to kind of shift my shift mm. my um my dissection style uh considerably to do mm -hmm. this project because i had to basically destroy the things that i've been you know trying to bring forward and show mm. but i think i've done that <laughs> you know i i've really i have if if you want to understand textural layers, I have got that down for you and and I can present that. And I have, it's all on my website. Um, but what about the tree? I was like, I got to the end of this anatomy from A to Z project, which was 17 straight months in the lab and 18 months of editing. So I, I spent about well three years to do the A to Z project from start to finish. And I was like, dang, you know, I still got to do a whole other dissection project to demonstrate the tree the nerve tree and mm. so that's what i did and it came out really cool <laughs> it was it was beyond my expectations mm. and it was way harder than i imagined it to be it was hard it's hard to dissect that tree oh i can't imagine i mean of course you've been doing dissection for so many years but i can't that yeah well, it was like starting from scratch. I had to use yeah. different tools because, you know, I'm a master of scalpel work and quick order in a class. I can move things along. And that's part of my job uh, is basically I have a very good sense and relationship, like as a sculptor with the textures of those layers, mm. whether that be the, you know, the skin or the adipose or the different layers of fascia, et cetera. Um, I'm very competent in handling those layers, but I have to put the scalpel down to dissect the nerve tree. You got to do that with a paddle. You know, you, you, you got to do that with a blunt instrument and just literally molecule by molecule pet through those textural layers, macerating them, destroying them so that oh. you can see the, the tree that's giving them their integrity and hmm. with the branching of that tree and then follow it back. How far back can you follow it? Can you follow it from the dermis to the spinal cord? Well, yeah, turns out you can. Um, and and that's how you know you got a nerve. <laughs> you know, it keeps on going. And so uh, it's going all the way back to the trunk, right? And so it gets bigger as you go. Mm. It's very challenging to start at the surface and there's, you know, it's very tiny <laughs> yeah yeah is that a nerve even can we tell you'll see pictures of it in about a week i'm really excited it's it's pretty phenomenal that you're able to do that so and, yeah. and will be so educational for so many folks and i and i like yeah that you even just said like that this is the tree that's giving the integrity to all the layers that you've spent so much mm. time with but like what how can we see this tree so yeah. What a gift. We had about, uh, I just taught in uh, Colorado Springs here at home uh, a few days ago, and we had about 10 Rolfers there. It was like, like eight oh. fresh, eight or nine freshly minted Rolfers from the, from the Institute who had like graduated that morning. And oh, wow. And, like, oh, talk. amazing. It was really fun. Uh, oh, cool. And there were a couple other stray, stray Rolfers in a room uh, who got to meet those, those new ones. Uh, it was really, really fun. Uh, they had a great time. That's very cool. Yeah. What a cool thing to do right after graduating. Yeah. Tell all your Boulder Rolfer friends to come, please. I have been. I have, yeah. I have, I think three or four people I've, or another, or just a couple of body workers, but I'm like keeping like, let's all go together. Let's Wonderful. go. Yeah. It'll be fun. Um. So I like to kind of, I mean, I could ask you, there's, there's a few more things in my head that I was like, Ooh, I want to talk about this and this, but for time's sake, we'll save that. Um, and so kind of like a, a wrapping, you know, concluding question I like to hold and offer is, you know, what suggestion or practice would you give to somebody who's, who's desiring to live a more embodied life? Um, which I think is a radical choice, um, in, in, in our world today. 
Yeah, literally, I would I would get out uh, a piece of paper and a journal page and a, and a pen and and literally just start listing what you appreciate about about your body you know like just just make a hundred hundred things mm. that you appreciate about your body like yeah and 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 post that on the bathroom mirror mm. as a reminder that that most things are going right uh with your body that mm. literally trillions of successful cellular operations are occurring just to enable you to complain. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, when you say it like that, it's like, well, shoot, <laughs> I better not complain. <laughs> well, yeah. When you're complaining, just pause for a moment. Sure. Yeah. And appreciate, whoa, there's a lot going right that's allowing me to do this. It's literally yeah. just a, again, it's like a shifting of your attention mm -hmm. from problem to gift, problem to gift, problem to gift. Mm -hmm. uh, I love it'll that. change your life. Yeah. It You'll will have a different experience of your life. Yeah. And it's that, it's that simple. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, Thank you, Gil, so much for being here. I was really moved and I'm inspired like by what you had to share. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm sure listeners will be too. Like you're so, I think just insightful and humble and and you're, you, I think you being so in connection with your own humanness allows us all to be. And I think that also is why at least I find you, you know, so inspiring. You're just real in, in who <laughs> you are. Um, so yeah, I'm, 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 uh, Reels the the be, a, a nice way. I've I've done fake. <laughs> I like real. Me too. Me too. Uh, where can people find out more about your work? And also, you know, this will be coming out probably I think mid November. So I know you'll still have some some nerve dates. Oh, I'll have yeah. another ninety. You know, we're Wait. literally Rachel and I are going to be in our RV. And we're going to go to a, a, a 110 cities or so. And okay. um, so if you live somewhere in the United States or Canada, we're probably going to be within an hour of you. And I hope I'll get to meet to meet you there. It's very easy to find information on. Just go to my name, gilheadley.com. And mm -hmm. uh, there's a link at the top of the page for the nerve tour. Awesome. But also, you know, I have... 20 plus hours of free content on my website in the form of my easy rider membership. Mm. Uh, so you can just join my website and basically get my whole learning curve is already there for free. And then on top of that, I have my Explorer membership. And there I have now over 270 hours of approved CE content, uh, all, wow. all, all body stuff, right? So if you really want a deep dive, you know, um, go into the Explorer membership. I have 30 plus courses there, um, all on camera dissection. Wow, that's incredible. Awesome. Yeah, yeah I'd really I recommend a, anyone. A lot of ground. I mean, it's like a career yeah. tool. Uh, my yeah. website is, and people just don't know about it because I haven't advertised it yet, but I'm, I'm three years into it and and once I'm I like, had Nerve Project, I did. I filmed for ninety-seven days for the Nerve Project, so I haven't edited that footage yet. I'll try and do it as I travel, and certainly when I'm back home. But that will also end up on the website. Awesome! What a what a valuable resource. Yeah, I'm like I'm joining the Explore. I'm like okay, thank you. I need to make sure I'm. Oh I'm yeah, it's and it's cheap. It's fifteen bucks a month or one hundred fifty so bucks a year. So I made an extremely low bar of entry for accessing this material because I am committed to democratizing access to this kind of anatomy knowledge, which is awesome. Yeah, and I, I would re really encourage anyone, no matter what level of anatomy knowledge little to to a lot and if you feel like oh i don't know this also to to, to go to Gil's website and check out all every resource and yeah, um it's the wonderful deep. place to start yeah it's a and, deep it's a deep uh deep site thank you for yeah saying that. yeah hmm. awesome woohoo woohoo thank you everyone for tuning in and um go to Gil's website check out his work and yeah just thank you again for for being here Gil. i'm really honored and and yeah, touched by this. My pleasure. My Thanks. pleasure.
All right. Take care, everyone. Thank you for joining me on this journey of radical embodiment. If you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to take a moment and leave a review for the Radical Embodiment podcast on Apple Podcast. Your feedback and support are invaluable in spreading our message of self-acceptance and body positivity to a wider audience. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. Until next time, stay courageous, stay intentional, and stay radically embodied.